providing you with health information and guests to elevate your health and life and help make your life better in 30 minutes or less. This is the Frontline Health Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Frontline Health by CenturionLabs.com. Today, in honor of ADHD Awareness Month, we're diving into the complex and often misunderstood world of ADHD. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder is the most commonly diagnosed neurodevelopmental disorder in childhood and is increasingly affecting adults as well. But how did we get here and what do we really know about ADHD? Join us as we explore its history, its various presentations, potential causes, treatment options, and the ongoing debate about overdiagnosis and treatment. To kick things off, let's delve into the history of ADHD. Did you know that ADHD was first described way back in 1902 by Sir George Still? That's right. It's quite surprising to think that this condition has been recognized for over a century. In fact, it wasn't until 1923 that a study provided evidence linking brain injuries to ADHD-like symptoms. This discovery eventually led to the development of the first product to treat ADHD in the 1930s. The journey of ADHD treatment has been kind of interesting. So from the 1930s to 1982, there were several products developed, and Ritalin SR was one of the last during that time frame. But then there was a huge gap from 1982 until 1996 where we didn't see any more products come on the market. But then, between 1996 and 2010, we saw an introduction of 15 new products, which many believe is the contributing factor, or one of the main contributing factors, in the increased number of ADHD diagnoses today. Another factor that's believed to have increased the prevalence of ADHD is the broad definition that's used to diagnose people today. There are three main subtypes within ADHD. First, you have inattention. Then you've got the hyperactivity and impulsivity type. And the third is a combined presentation of both inattention and hyperactivity and impulsivity. The inattention subtype involves symptoms like difficulty paying attention, being forgetful, and losing things. The hyperactivity and impulsivity subtype include symptoms like fidgeting, talking excessively, and having trouble waiting their turn. And the combined presentation is, as you would imagine, a mix of both. The question then is really what causes ADHD? And while they've got these theories around it, they have no real evidence of what causes it, and they're not real sure. But one of the main theories suggests a deficiency in the neurotransmitter norepinephrine, which is linked to dopamine and plays a role in the brain's reward and pleasure center. Another theory is the chemical imbalance theory, which it's mostly been debunked to uh, today, but it's still out there among some physicians. And then the third is some nutrient deficiencies and genetic factors can also be part of this theory of how ADHD actually comes about. And then typically what you find with ADHD is being treated with medications like methylphenidate and amphetamine, which are 
class two narcotic products. But there are huge concerns because of these class two products, especially regarding overdiagnosis and treatment. In other words, they feel like maybe we're giving these products to people who don't really need them, but we're seeing some evidence of uh, good things come from them. So we continue to give them to them. And some have argued that ADHD is way overdiagnosed and there's a pushback against the criteria set by the DSM which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the the Bible, if you will, of any mental disorder that's out there. As a matter of fact, Dr. Alan Francis, a renowned psychiatrist and professor emeritus at Duke University School of Medicine, and who was also part of the task force that helped develop the DSM, has criticized the role of pharmaceutical companies in the proliferation of ADHD diagnoses, and especially in the most recent DSM-5. He actually had this to say. He said drug companies were given the means, the motive, and the message to disease monger ADHD and blow it up out of all proportions. And he's not alone in this belief. He has the support of a growing number of physicians across the world. But while that is the case, let's take a little closer look at the effectiveness and potential risk of ADHD treatment. The National Institute of Mental Health conducted a significant study known as the Multimodal Treatment of ADHD. This was a groundbreaking study which involved a longitudinal randomized controlled trial. What that means is they just uh, did this for a longer period of time and it was placebo controlled. So you didn't know what you were getting and they followed these patients for a long period of time. But it spanned 14 months initially during which it showed a reduction in ADHD symptoms. So the first 14 months had a positive return on those products that they were using, methylphenidate. Um, being one of them. However, by the 24-month mark, the benefits had decreased significantly. And by 36 months, after three years of taking those products, all benefits were erased and the participants actually showed deterioration with increased symptoms compared to those who had received no treatment at all. And I know that that's a startling revelation for a lot of us. It certainly was for me when I first read it, but it didn't stop there. They did long-term studies over six to eight years and found no advantages in terms of reduced symptoms or improved academics for those who had received treatment. These results and studies are not what we typically hear when we're told about these products, but there is more we should be aware of as well. With widespread use of medications like amphetamines and methylphenidates for ADHD, it's important to discuss those potential risks that come alongside it. A Cochrane database, which is probably the gold standard within the medical industry, reviewed 260 studies and revealed that users of these medications suffered from one or more adverse events, such as mood issues, huge mood swings, anxiety, insomnia, zombie-like behavior. They had tics, sadness, and depression, just to name a few of them. And these findings really emphasize the need for a clearer and more balanced understanding of the risk associated with those ADHD medications. Uh, 
And in response to these concerns, the FDA has started to take some action. They're now requiring sponsors of amphetamine and methylphenidate products, the most commonly used to treat ADHD, to update and standardize their prescribing information. The goal really was to ensure that patients and caregivers and healthcare professionals are fully informed about the risk associated with these medications. While this is a crucial step towards transparency and safety in the treatment of ADHD, I think it's always good to remember that no matter what the FDA does or our medical professionals do, ultimately it's our decision and ultimately it's our responsibility to take care of our health and our family's health. So as we conclude this episode, it's clear ADHD is both complex and multifaceted, and it has changed tremendously over the years, both in our understanding of it and in the available treatments. And while it is a journey, we hope this podcast has helped shed some light on the subject and is a reminder that each individual's experience with ADHD is unique and a tailored approach to treatment considering all information is incredibly essential. I hope you found this episode was both informative for you and opened your eyes during the start of ADHD Awareness Month. If you'd like to learn more about ADHD or other health-related topics, you can go to centurionlabs.com or subscribe to the Frontline Health Podcast. Thanks, or That's all for today's episode of Frontline Health by centurionlabs.com. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, go out today and take ownership of your health, because no one cares more about your health than you. Until next time, take care and stay healthy. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Frontline Health Podcast by Centurion, where our desire is to elevate your health and life. If you found benefit from this episode or know someone who could, please pass it along. We'd love to hear any feedback or questions you may have by emailing us at admin at centurionlabs.com. Until next time, remember, you are your best health advocate. So go take ownership of your health today.